0: Fantastic, Justin. We'd love to invite you up to uh, join us. Just uh, we we always like when we have a guest speaker, we like to give them a little bit of a grilling uh, <laughs> before you before we start. So, um, Justin, welcome. Thank, thank you, you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you for having me. Just love to hear a little bit more about you. Um, what, what's your day job?
1: My day job. Uh, well, it's it's a variety of things, but one of the main things is presenting a weekly radio show and podcast, Unbelievable, which I'll talk a little bit about during my talk. Um, but I also do um, writing features, other podcasts, uh, and uh, yeah, that kind of thing.
0: And pre-COVID sort of flying all over the world? Well, very
1: occasionally I got, I got to go to places like the US to, to do talks and conferences, but w- that hasn't started up again yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, understandable. Thank you. Uh, Justin. Um where are you from, and what's your family like?
1: I'm I'm from all the way over in Woking, as you <laughs> mentioned. So it took me all of about 20 minutes to drive here, which is great. Um, but yeah, I'm married to Lucy. She's the minister of a church in Woking, so I bring greetings from Woking United Reformed Church. Uh, I've got four children. Uh, the oldest of whom is uh, nearly 17. Youngest is six. So that keeps us very busy, uh, being involved in church life, the uh, job, and and all that that brings.
0: Fantastic, and now, that, I mean, if you've heard, if you've seen a guest speak here before, you know the most important question we ask is a rite of passage when you come and speak at the oh. six. What is your favorite pudding slash dessert? Oh,
1: this is the hardest question of the evening for sure. If
0: you um, don't say cheesecake, you will be judged.
1: Okay. <laughs> I guess cheesecake, no. Um, I uh, I really like, actually, an old favorite is um, bread and butter pudding. Oh, it's
0: good, you know, it's a good one.
1: Especially if you use, um, at Christmas we have this thing of using, you get loads of panettone at Christmas. Oh, I mean, yes. But it's really good as bread and butter pudding, I find, so yeah. yeah.
0: Great, well, you know, I think we can all say that we've given Justin our seal of approval on that basis. <laughs> uh, Justin, we'd love to pray for you sure. before you uh, talk to us. Father, thank you so much for Justin and the word that you've placed on his heart for tonight. We pray, um, Lord, that as he comes to speak to us, you would give us open hearts and minds to receive and to hear. Holy Spirit, be at work. Put your words on his lips and help us to receive them, to be open to hearing your voice afresh as we engage with who you are tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you very much. I'm just going to grab this stand and... uh for some notes, but thank you so much for the invitation to come uh, to Claygate. I uh, I haven't had much opportunity to visit your your fair. Is it a town or a village? What is Claygate? A village. A village. Okay. Well, what a fantastic church, village church you have then. Um, it's it's so good to be here and uh, to be part of your your new service. Um, and hey, I'll probably come back and just join it as a regular congregant in the future. It's it's fantastic. So thank you very much for having me. Um, as I mentioned, I. Um, I have a a day job, which is a radio host. Uh, I've been on radio for, uh, getting on for 20 years now, actually, uh, because it was what I started out doing pretty soon after getting married and having a gap year with my wife, Lucy. She started training, I started working on radio. And um, it's been an exciting time because uh, I've been able to begin and uh, host a show called Unbelievable for the last 15 years or so. It's been a very exciting time. got a few pictures to show you before we get into the talk uh, you can skip to the next one um, that's uh, uh i'm afraid it's not in wide screen so you've still got a bit of me poking out the side but um there we go uh that's the in the radio studio pre-covid times i have to confess a lot of what i do now is actually based from home at the moment um but we also do video as well you can find us on youtube i think you can skip to the next uh one more on there we go uh, that's, uh, that's in our, our, our video studio, um, hosting a discussion with quite a well-known uh, personality, Jordan Peterson, who came in to the studio a few years ago for the beginning of something called The Big Conversation. He's in dialogue there with atheist psychologist Susan Blackmore, and the show is really all about bringing big thinkers together to debate big ideas, and usually we have a Christian and a non-Christian involved in the discussion. Uh, Premier Christian Radio has been broadcasting two Christians, four Christians, about Christian stuff for many years. But it was about 15 years ago I went to the CEO and said, I'd love to bring some non-Christians on the Christian radio station. Because actually, most of the places that Christians live and work are actually uh, cheek by jowl with people who don't share their faith. So wouldn't it be good if we could model what some good conversations looked like? And that's what we've been trying to do with Unbelievable over the years. Uh, You can skip to the next slide. Uh, there's lots of different issues, uh, it's not just Christianity that gets debated, but all kinds of uh, ethical issues, this was a recent one on the recent assisted suicide or recent assisted dying bill that's been going through parliament, I've got two speakers there. Psychedelic drugs, that was an unusual one, um, That looking at sort of, you can see I look suitably spaced out for that one. Um, uh, But but this was a really interesting woman called Ashley Landay, who's a Christian, but who had a background in kind of New Age uh, psychedelic drugs. She was opposite uh, an interesting atheist philosopher called Peter Shersted Hughes. Uh, I can skip forward. what have we got next? Ah, yes, and I recently got on TikTok as well. Who, who's on TikTok? Hands, anyone sort of kind of there? Okay, well, if you're not, then it just shows how young and amazingly in tune I am. Um, no, I, it's actually my, my 16-year-old son, Noah, who got me into TikTok, and he's way bigger than me on TikTok. Look up Noah X. Boa if you want to see how big he is on TikTok. But I do I do little sort of taking some of what I've learned on the show over the years, putting it out in a 60-second format if you want to check that out, you're very welcome to do so. But really, at the center of the show, and you can skip to the next slide, is is really about bringing people together for dialogue, debate, for conversation. And it could be encapsulated really in this well-known verse from 1 Peter 3.15 that says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. And we're trying to have those conversations with gentleness, with respect, but also in the process hopefully giving a reason for the hope that we have. And it's been interesting because the show started as a radio show, but it actually turned into a podcast a couple of years in, and through that, a lot of non-Christians started listening to the show because they were hearing conversations where their side, if you like, was being fairly represented. And so we now have just a wonderful mixture of people who listen to the show all over the world from all kinds of faith backgrounds or non-faith backgrounds, and, and it's a wonderful experience to be able to host these kinds of conversations that are reaching out into the culture. Um, one of the people who's been one of the you know, key influences on the show over the years, you can go to the next slide, is Richard Dawkins. You may be familiar with him. Uh, he's well known as a biologist, but also as an atheist increasingly in recent years. He had a best-selling book called The God Delusion, which in about, I think, 2005, around the time that the show began, uh, that was really the zenith of what's sometimes called the new atheism. Uh, a movement that aims to really quite dogmatically reject the claims of religion. In fact, says more than that. It says that religion is not only false, it's also dangerous. And so those kinds of characters, people like Dawkins, are the people that we've often been responding to and engaging with on the show. And I'll tell a little story about the first time I got to actually have an interview with Richard Dawkins later on. But what I've discovered in the course of doing this is that actually Christians do have answers, okay, very often I meet Christians who are kind of scared by some of the questions they get asked, but I've found in the process of hosting these conversations that there are good answers. I've discovered the intellectual tradition in Christianity and that actually some of the best minds out there have no problem with believing in God, that there are good reasons to believe in God. And it was at about the 10 year mark of the show that I did a kind of ask me anything type podcast uh, episode. And a lot of the questions that came in at the 10-year mark were, okay, having had all of these atheists and skeptics on the show, Justin, why are you still a Christian? And that was really the genesis of the book, where I tried to tell the story of the show, but also make my case for faith, why I think Christianity is the most compelling story that exists out there. One of the really helpful things I found in the course of doing the show was to realize that It's not as though Christians, say over here, have all of the burden of proof on them. You know, sometimes it feels a bit like the atheist skeptic might say, well, look, you're the one with all the weird supernatural beliefs, right? So come on, you've got to try and convince me. I'm just a neutral bystander waiting for some evidence. But actually, it's not like that, in my view. In fact, if you're a Christian, yes, you certainly have beliefs. You believe there's a God. You believe there's... You know, something beyond this life, you believe that there is an afterlife, you believe that there's a mind behind the universe, essentially. But if you're an atheist, you also have potentially a set of beliefs. Most of the atheists who come on my show would actually um, be something like a naturalist or a materialist or a physicalist, someone who believes that all that ultimately exists is matter in motion, the laws of nature, energy. Everything we experience, everything about our universe, can ultimately be boiled down to physical stuff. Now that, in my view, is actually a belief. It's something that you've decided is the way that reality is. But it's got all kinds of consequences, as I'll explain in the talk. So I don't think it's about simply proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christianity is true but rather it's a case of looking at two different worldviews. One over here, one over here, and asking which makes best sense of all of the evidence that we've got in front of us. That doesn't mean that you're gonna come away immediately convinced, but maybe, just maybe, it might be enough to make you realize that there's something in the Christian story, or maybe something in the atheist story, but both have to explain why they believe what they believe. And there are three key reasons that I'd like to share with you tonight that I believe Christianity makes sense, that God makes sense of the universe we live in and of our experience as humans in it. I'm gonna start with number one, and that is that I believe God makes sense of human existence. Now, one of the things I've discovered in doing the show and had lots of scientists on both sides of the aisle join me is that actually, The the often told story in the skeptical or atheist world that religion has been a real break on scientific progress and now that we have science, we don't need God anymore. Well, actually, that's a bit of a spin on what's actually been happening in the scientific world over the last several decades. In fact, if anything, I'd say that the trajectory of science in the last 60 or 70 years has actually opened up the God question rather than closed it down. One of the most interesting things I learned early on in hosting debates between scientists of Christian or atheist background was an interesting phenomenon called the fine tuning of the universe for life. It's a bit of a complex idea, so I've tried to boil it down into a reasonably short video, and I'm gonna let the video do the talking for a few minutes, and then we'll be back. Some people say that human existence is a result of a roll of the cosmic dice. Like the gambler who stakes his life savings on the next throw, we just got lucky in the lottery of life. Some people say there's no purpose in the universe, no grand plan, no god behind it all. Our numbers just came up and here we are. But I don't believe them, and nor should you. If I roll this dice, the chances of getting a 6 is 1 in 6. That's not too bad. But what are the chances of me rolling six twice in a row? Well, the odds get longer. It's one in six times by one in six. That's one in 36, so I'd have to be pretty lucky to get two sixes in a row. Now, every time I add the chances of rolling another six in a row, the odds go up exponentially, and it gets even more unlikely. Now, what if I rolled this dice 70 times and every single time I got a six? Okay, that's pretty unlikely, but it's possible, right? Well, in fact, the chances of rolling a 6 70 times in a row are around 1 in 10 to the 55. That's a 1 with 55 zeros after it. Now just to put that in perspective, how long would I have to stand here rolling this dice, allowing about 5 seconds per roll, before hitting that lucky streak and rolling 70 sixes in a row? Well, I had a mathematician friend work it out for me. On average, you would have to continually roll this dice for 100 trillion 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 years before your numbers come up. That's a long time. What if you applied that thinking to us? What are the odds of us being here? Now the odds of rolling 76s in a row, 1 in 10 to the 55, as it happens those are the same odds of something called the expansion rate of the universe being just right for the existence of us here today. From the moment of the big bang when our universe began to rapidly expand the rate of that expansion was exquisitely finely balanced. Any faster and the universe would have expanded too rapidly to allow the formation of chemicals, atoms, stars and galaxies. Any slower and the universe would have collapsed back in on itself. But as it happens, the universe expanded at just the right rate to allow for life to develop in the future, for us to be here. It hit 70 rolls of the number six in a row first time. And the expansion rate of the universe is just one among 30 or so other incredibly sensitively finely tuned constants and fundamental forces in the universe that must be just the way they are for the universe to be able to produce us. So let's imagine, if I went ahead and rolled this dice 70 times, and what do you know, every time it came up 6. No waiting for trillions upon trillions of years. First time. Beginner's luck? Hardly. You would assume that I must have rigged it. Maybe the dice are loaded, maybe there are 6s on every side. It can't be chance. Now let me ask you. Why would we assume that this universe with us in it, which is actually way more improbable than my 70 rolls, is just a result of chance? The fact that we're here shows that someone's loaded the dice. In fact, maybe there's no dice at all. What if the evidence points to this life-permitting universe actually being the product of an intelligent mind which intended for us to be here? Now, you could come up with some speculative other theory, Maybe there's an infinite number of universes giving you an infinite number of chances to roll the dice, maybe. But we don't have any scientific evidence for it. So if you're hanging your hat on that possibility, then you're every bit as much committed to a faith position as the person who says God was behind it. Believing in God isn't a delusion, it's a perfectly reasonable conclusion when we look at the fingerprints on our universe. And if it's true that we aren't just the fluke results of a cosmic roll of the dice and that we're actually here because a grand designer intended us from the very beginning, well that's worth staking something on. So uh, that gives you a bit of an overview. It's a, it's a massive topic and one we've debated many times on the show, but this, this phenomenon of the fine-tuning of the universe, it does raise all kinds of interesting questions. Why is there? such a thing as humans when it seems so astronomically unlikely that we should be here in the first place. And when you add to that things like the fact that science again tells us that the universe had a beginning in time and space, it's very hard to avoid some of the directions in which these kinds of things are pointing us. Now, is this a proof of God? No, it's not. But I simply ask you to consider which story makes best sense of this data, how unlikely it is that humans are here, for me, the Christian story that there is in fact a divine mind that intended for us to be here makes sense. Whereas the atheist story that we really are just the result of a random cosmic roll of the dice, that just doesn't seem to comport with the evidence, with what seems to be in front of us. So I think that when it comes to human existence, God makes sense. Here's the second reason why I think God makes sense. I think God makes sense of human value. And I want to tell you a story about a wealthy businessman back in 1973, Jaime Jaramillo. And he was walking along the streets of Bogota in Colombia when he saw a young girl climbing through a manhole down into the sewers below. Jaime was intrigued, he went home, he put on a wetsuit and he followed that girl down into those sewers, and to his amazement, he discovered about 90 children living in these filthy, rat-infested sewers. And the reason they were there was that off-duty policemen on the streets above were gunning down these kids. One officer said, killing these kids is like killing lice. We call them the disposables. And since then, Jame has rescued hundreds of these street kids. He's put them in a special home where they receive an education and live in a loving Christian community. And I'm sure, like me, you find that story both disturbing and inspiring. Disturbing that anyone could treat other human beings like that, especially children. Inspiring because of what James did. He did the right thing, you know, the human thing. But... Then I think we have to ask ourselves, well, why? Why do we believe that human life should be valued, whatever kind of life it is? Why did shame do the right thing, the human thing? And the problem is that on atheism, I've never found a satisfactory answer to that. Because ultimately on atheism, we are just one more byproduct of a random, a process of evolution. And there's no particular reason why our lives should have any more importance than the life of a louse. There's nothing intrinsically special about us. But that's not the way we think about life, is it? It's not the way we think about humans, certainly. One of the stories I tell in the book is when I got my very first interview, as I mentioned, with Richard Dawkins, very well-known atheist. This was in the context of a debate that he'd just had at the University of Oxford with a a well-known Christian thinker called John Lennox. And I'd invited Dawkins on the show several times, but he'd never responded. But eventually I managed to sort of doorstep him with my microphone in hand. And it was at the sort of after party of this particular debate. And I got my sort of 10 minutes with Dawkins in this busy sort of canapes going round and wine reception. And we had a little conversation. Part of our conversation was on this whole area of human value and whether it makes sense in a godless universe. And here's how our conversation went. I said, but if we'd evolved into a society where rape was considered fine, would that mean that rape is fine? And he said, I don't want to answer that question. It's enough for me to say that we live in a society where it's not considered fine. We live in a society where selfishness, failure to pay your debts, failure to reciprocate favours is regarded askance. That's the society in which we live. I'm very glad, that's a value judgment, glad that I live in such a society. And I responded, but when you make a value judgment, don't you immediately step outside of this evolutionary process and say, the reason this is good is that it's good and you don't have any way to stand on that statement. And he responded, well, my value judgment itself could come from my evolutionary past. And I said, well, therefore it's just as random, in a sense, as any product of evolution. He said, well, you could say that. In any case, nothing about it makes it more probable that there's anything supernatural. And I responded, okay, but ultimately, your belief that rape is wrong is as arbitrary as the fact we've evolved five fingers rather than six. And he said, you could say that, yes. And you could say that, and in fact, I think you should say that if you are a thoroughgoing, naturalist, atheist like Richard Dawkins is. I think he's owning up to the consequences of his belief system. But why do we struggle with that idea that actually our beliefs about how we should treat humans in that kind of way are just the happenstance of the hand that we happen to have been dealt by evolution at this moment in time and culture? Actually, none of us believe that. We believe there are really right and wrong ways to treat humans, and that if one culture develops a disregard for human life, like the off-duty policemen killing those kids in Bogota, Colombia, then there's something really wrong about that. It's not just the way the world happens to be. There's something about the way we should treat each other that's deeply embedded in what it means to be human. How do you explain that? I've never found a satisfactory explanation on an atheist worldview, but on Christianity, there is a ready explanation. In fact, it's right there on page one of the Bible that humans are made in the image of God. And that gives you and I and every human being in existence ultimate value. Even if you're a street kid in Bogota, Colombia, one of the kids who was found gunned down had a note pinned to them. It said, I killed you because you had no education and no future. Now, is that the measure of a human life? Is it dependent on who we are? and where we're born? Is it dependent on simply, you know, the happenstance of whether we got lucky basically in life? Or is actually our human value dependent on us being made in the image of a transcendent God? You see, it's only that view, I believe, that makes sense of this view that humans have value. Finally, number three, I think God makes sense of human purpose. I wonder if you've heard of Jennifer Fulwiler, I've got a picture of her here. I tell her story in my book, but um, Jennifer grew up in a loving family, but one in which religion was painted as clearly false. Jennifer says she never remembers a time when she believed in God. She was raised on a diet of science, reason, and evidence-based rational thought. In fact, her bedtime reading was Carl Sagan's book, Cosmos, and from a young age she knew that the world ran according to this well-established set of scientific laws and principles, energy in motion, you know, electrons, particles, physics, that explains everything, was the view of Jennifer. And, and she held on to that view, that naturalist view of the world, well into the early years of her marriage. However, shortly after the birth of her first child, she experienced a dramatic shift in her thinking. And, and Jennifer describes it this way She says, I looked down and thought, what is this baby? And I thought, well, from a purely atheist materialist perspective, He's a randomly evolved collection of chemical reactions. And I realised, well, if that's true, then all of the love that I feel for him is nothing more than chemical reactions in my brain. And I looked down at him and I thought, that's not true. That's not the truth. And this kind of moment sparked a journey for Jennifer that led her ultimately to embrace Christianity. And I think what Jennifer realised in that moment is that The story that atheism tells is very difficult, very different to the the story that Christianity tells. It's very difficult to find ultimate purpose in the story of atheism. Again, Dawkins neatly summarizes this. He writes, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Yes, that is the universe we should expect if there is no God. But actually, that's not the universe I observe. (laughs) I observe a universe where there is good, where there is right and wrong, where there is beauty, where there is purpose. We can't live without it. So whereas Dawkins only sees a universe of sort of physical laws, kind of inexorably leading one day to the heat death of the universe, where all self-made purposes will one day be extinguished in a cold, sterile void, I say, no, that's not the story that I'm living in, actually. It's not the story that makes sense of life for me. I think that all human beings, you see, experience this kind of yearning. Um, it's It's a yearning for something beyond our physical experience, beyond our physical existence. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, "'A baby feels hunger. "'Well, there is such a thing as food. "'A duckling wants to swim. "'Well, there is such a thing as water. "'People feel sexual desire. "'Well, there is such a thing as sex.'" And he concluded this by saying this on the screen, "'If I find in myself a desire "'which no experience in this world can satisfy, "'the most probable explanation "'is that I was made for another world.'" It's sometimes called the argument from desire. Could that desire for the transcendent, that common experience in every culture, place, and time, for something more, could it have a real object which satisfies it? Because we all long for that purpose, don't we? Some kind of a purpose that outlives the span of human years. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, the writer says, you have set eternity in our hearts. And the great mathematician and scientist, Blaise Pascal, put it this way. He said, there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately, atheism and Christianity, they tell two very different stories. One of is, is, I'm afraid, ultimately, of purposelessness and hopelessness. But Christianity tells a different story. It tells a story that there is ultimate hope and there is ultimate purpose. The psychologists tell us, in fact, that there are two things that people can't live without in life, two things we need to flourish as human beings. They are love and hope, love and hope. And I believe Christianity holds those out to us like nothing else, love because In Jesus Christ, in his sacrificial death on the cross, God himself came and gave himself for us in the most extravagant display of love that anyone could hope to have on their behalf. And in his resurrection, Jesus Christ demonstrated the ultimate hope that there is something beyond the grave, that your life means something, that you're not simply here and gone. Your life has meaning. It has purpose beyond the grave. Now look, in saying all this, I'm not trying to have a go at any of my atheist friends. In fact, I meet so many wonderful atheist friends. I've made, you know, I love going down to the pub with them if we get the chance after a recording. I love spending time. And when I critique their worldview, I'm not critiquing them per se, but we do have a very different way of looking at the world. Whereas on the atheistic worldview, ultimately there's no ultimate story to our universe. It's come from nowhere and it's heading nowhere. I can't believe that. I don't believe that explains why we're here. Again, I can't believe that the value we believe in, in human beings, is simply a kind of an illusion foisted on us by some purposeless process. And likewise, I don't believe that the purpose that we all seem to recognize that exists in human life is again simply something which ultimately won't be fulfilled by anything. I think when we look out there at the universe and inside ourselves, we find actually that there are answers and that the best explanation is that there is a God, a God who intended for us to be here. Thank you very much for listening. It's been wonderful to share a little of my journey with you and some of the reasons why I'm still a Christian after all these years of talking with atheists. Uh, I do have some books uh, that are available afterwards if you'd like to come. I'd be happy to sign one as well if you'd like it. If anything I've said tonight uh, has sparked anything in you in terms of your own value, your own journey, whether you think there might be something out there that makes sense of life, I know that there's a team here who would love to pray for you and talk that through as well. But for now, thank you very much for hearing me. Thank you. (laughs)